we've had Jennifer talking powerfully on the P of prayer. And I want to talk on preaching. And I want to just ask you to consider whether preaching is or is not past its sell-by date. You see, communication changes. The means of the message getting out changes. The youngsters have their phones. There is the whole thing with the internet. As a youth, I went to see a cubic film, and on the film there was a man there. He got this little handheld thing, which was a color television, and he could talk to it. And we came out and we thought, how funny, what wonderful science fiction. That'll never happen. Yet, in my lifetime, all of that has happened and more. So the means of communication has changed. And therefore, I want you to think about preaching, simple preaching. From the past, <clears throat> great leaders and preachers were Moses, Joshua, Gideon, David, Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Peter, Paul, and of course the greatest of all his preachers was Jesus. Now all of those were ordinary men except Jesus, who was the Son of God. And their ministries and kingdoms were carried out at times of conflict. And in many ways their messages were made great out of the conflicts and difficulties. That's what made them great, apart of course from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it was the battle, the difficulties, that caused their message to be powerful. And I just suggest to you that preaching is never out of date. You will notice in Nehemiah, and uh, particularly in Haggai, that their preaching motivated God's people to start doing the work of God in the place they were at. Their preaching wasn't designed to just tickle people's ears at the time and make them have a feel good or feel that they in some way are, you know, they're okay and everything. It motivated people, particularly in the case of Nehemiah, to pick up the hammer and the trowel and build the work that was necessary for God. Preaching should always, always have that effect on God's people. Good preaching always motivates people to get up and do something for God. It may be the something is prayer, as Jenny has suggested, but it may be some other works. But what motivated the preaching? It was preaching that was pointed and directed at the wrongdoings and sins of the people or the country or the environment. Let's just read Haggai 1, 1 to 15. It's an example, an example of one of two that I want to use today. Haggai 1, starting at the beginning. On August the 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people are saying, 
the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house, the temple. Now notice this, there's a common theme between the two scriptures we're going to look at. The rebuilding of the kingdom, of the temple. So the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses where my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider how things are going for you. You have planted much but harvested little. You have food to eat but not enough to fill you up. You have wine to drink but not enough to satisfy your thirst. You have clothing to wear but not enough to keep you warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider how things are going for you. Now go up to the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Remember, it was the temple. And the Lord said, and people were saying, it's not yet time to rebuild the temple. This is what the Lord had to say about that. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord Almighty. While you're all busy building your own fine houses, that's why the heavens have withdrawn the dew and the earth and withheld the crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grains and grapes and olives and all of your crops, a drought to starve both you and your cattle and to ruin everything you've worked so hard to get. And the next bit is called obedience. Obedience to God's call. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shetil, Jeshua, son of Josephat, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people, obeyed the message from the Lord their God. It had been delivered by the prophet Haggai, who the Lord their God had sent. And then the people worshipped the Lord in earnest. I'll say that again. The people worshipped the Lord their God in earnest. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, Preacher, possibly? Definitely. Give the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shetil, governor of Judah, Jeshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people. They came and began their work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. This was September the 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign. On August the 29th of the second year is the first, first verse. And by September the 21st, things were starting to happen. You can read the rest yourself from October the 17th and so on. You see the power of the preaching. The people were saying the wrong things against the Lord. But something needed to be done. Now, I'm not suggesting here that we're into rebuilding temples, but what is it in the Lord's work that's lying in ruins and we're living in comfort or complacency or we're okay? What is it? And is that part of why we're not seeing the fullness? Where are we looking after ourselves and not the Lord? Where is the Lord coming second or third after all our interests, as worthy as they are? And are we partly in deception that we think we're rich, but we're rather like that revelation church that thinks it's thick, uh, uh, rich, 
but thinks but in fact the truth is that it's poor and ragged and weak preaching has that power to motivate us to do something sometimes the preaching is to stir God's people up to finish what they've started so ask yourself what is it you started but really haven't fulfilled you haven't come to because of all those other wonderful things that you're doing and they're all good in themselves but they're not the Lord's work they're your work or there's other people's work that is imposed upon you these people didn't stop preaching if you read it in here till the temple was finished it needed to be finished we don't need preaching do we that says it's okay everything is fine you don't need to finish what you started and so on we don't want preaching or words that tickle our ears and make us go away with a feel-good factor every time of course there's a time where preaching is to build up and encourage and grow the spiritual content of the people but sometimes we need a very gentle confrontation from the Lord if you are coming and hearing preaching and you're going with condemnation then that is from the enemy if you're going away with a measure of conviction that's the Holy Spirit don't blame the preacher for the Holy Spirit's conviction that is the Lord saying something's not right and I want it put right so the preaching needs to stir us up in some form and what does it do it finish it help us to finish what God has got started something started but it's not finished an incomplete harvest if John plants it all but can't be bothered to get it in it's not much of a harvest it's a waste of his time certainly doesn't glorify God I was thrilled to hear that that huge cathedral in Barcelona is scheduled to be finished in the next five to six years and when you go there I couldn't believe the amount of technology and the resources there but it's been hundreds of years that cathedral's being built and it's been hundreds of years that it wasn't even used properly it is used okay now but it's not finished somebody had a vision from the Lord about it and now other people with all the technology and everything else and the stonemasons are going to complete what God's done if you go into it don't think it's some sort of mausoleum the presence of God is within that place and he's going to use it mightily when it's completely finished so it's important the preacher isn't passive and weak you need to preach the truth even even if it offends some listeners you see if you get a preacher who is a people pleaser then they will please the people and it doesn't take much imagination to know that it won't please God we need preachers who will preach what God's Word without seeking the approval of man or woman or secular society now that's the tricky one at the moment because we are being pressurized to compromise it's like they take the Bible and they say well this bit here it doesn't quite fit society and you know and we've, we've moved on 2,000 years so we tear that page out and we tear this one and I'm back to again my very thin Bible that is like anorexia if you don't eat enough and you get thinner and thinner and thinner you suffer from anorexia if we have a Bible a Christian message that is so ripped out 
And the enemy would certainly want to rip out chunks of the Bible. He certainly want to rip the whole of Revelation out for a start. It's important that we do preach God's work in its wholeness. Proportions sometimes are difficult, but there's two-thirds of God's word in the Old Testament and one-third in the New. Yes, of course, it's the New Covenant and the power of Jesus there, but we must have regard to what is in the Old Testament and not throw it out like a baby with the bathwater and say, oh, well, that's, that's all old. No, it's not old. God's work, word never comes back how? Void, empty. As we pray it out, it comes back. Chapel, the type of preaching you need is to have a man or woman of God in this place in a way whose preaching almost probably seems a bit out of date with today's society. You've got somebody who's too trendy and too, what's the word, with it, to quote the old phrase from the 60s, then if he's a bit out of date or she's a bit out of date with today's society, particularly the secular society, then be thankful that you probably have got the man or woman of God to lead this chapel on to the place of full truth, healing, restoration, and the glory of God. Don't please fall into the trap of trying to get preachers who water down their sermons so you end up with a sort of weak, flat. If it's supposed to be fizzy, it's not, it's flat. If it's supposed to be strong Ribena, it's not, it's Ribena with about two drops in it but encourage them to preach the type of sermons that make you listen, even if it costs you, even if it costs you to be uncomfortable, but it motivates you to pick up a hammer and a trowel and start being, building the work of the Lord. I said we wanted to look at two things. I want to look at Nehemiah, please. I think Nehemiah is a wonderful book, if you've not read it, do have a dip into it. You don't necessarily need to read the lot, but you can. And I want to look at, i find the right page. Nehemiah has two aspects to it. Yes, there is the prayer, but there is also, also the question of the model for leadership. Nehemiah 1, in the late autumn of the 20th century of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had survived the captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. Nothing changes, does it? They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been turned down, the gates have been burned. Now note this. When I heard this, this is the mountain Jenny was talking about. When I heard about this mountain, didn't rush in immediately and start, you know, trying to put an elastoplast on the problem. I sat down and I wept. In fact, I mourned for, uh, for days, I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Say it to myself, when do we last sit down and pray for days to the God of heaven about something? Morning, 
fasting, praying, weeping over the situation. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love of those who love him and obey his commands. Notice the prayer starts with saying who God is. Yes, very clearly, praising God for who he is. Then he says, having put God in the right place, listen to my prayer. Lovely chorus, isn't it, from Taze? O oh Lord, hear my prayer. We've heard Ralph play it in the past on the, on the cello. O oh Lord, hear my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess we have sinned against you. What have they done? They've allowed Jerusalem to fall to bits. The walls have gone. The protection has gone. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, laws, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Does this country sin by not obeying the commands, laws, and regulation that's given us through your servant Moses and all the rest of the Old Testament? Yes, it does. Please remember what I told your servant Moses. If you sin, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. We are your servants, the people you've rescued by your great power and might. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Isn't that another lovely chorus? Lord, hear my prayer. Lord, hear my prayer. All of these come from Scripture. Notice it's not the New Testament we're singing about in the choruses. In many cases, it's the Lord's word from ancient times because it's relevant and powerful and traveling to its destination. Listen to the powers of those of us who delight in honoring you, putting Jesus in the center. Please grant me success. Now I go to ask the king for a great favor. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. See the prayer of preparation for who you're going to see about the mountain. It's a good model. And I love this. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer, full stop. What does that mean? I'm, a, I'm in a place, I'm in the right place, I'm in a place of authority. God has put me right where I am. I'm the man who's testing the drink for the king to see if he's poisoned. Now, it's a bit of a dodgy job in a way because it's a job that if it goes wrong, you only do it once because but he's the cupbearer. He is the person. I don't want to go on too long, but do you see that there is this model of prayer and so on? I just want to look very briefly to close. I don't want to lose anything. Can we then go to Nehemiah 5, verse 6, John? Nehemiah 5, verse 6. It's so worth reading this. I would just encourage you, never ever read it. Read it slowly. Verse 5. Verse 6 to the end of 12. I've got to find it myself. 6 to the end of 12. Yeah, that's it. When I heard about their complaints, it starts. Now, this is really important, and part, I think, again, where we've got to get a heart for this is to do with those people who are working and trying to do those things for the Lord. And they are complaining, and they're rightfully complaining. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. This is Haggai. Now, after thinking about their situation, I spoke out against their nobles and officials. 
There are times whereby we need to speak out against those who are oppressing. I told them, you are oppressing your own relatives by charging them interest when they, when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. He didn't mess about, did he? He got this big mountain of a problem that all these people are complaining because they're being oppressed and everything else and being, being we, in modern parlance, they were being ripped off. He calls a meeting. At the meeting, I said to them, the rest of us are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who've had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? The idea of the interest and so on. They had nothing to say in their defense. Full stop. They got no case. It's wrong. Then I press further. What you are doing is not right. Should we not walk in the fear of the Lord in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money in grain, but now let us stop this business of loans. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day. Notice the action. Notice the leadership. He knows something is wrong. We as a church know things are wrong. We address them, not tomorrow, not next month, this very day. Repay the interest you charge them on their money, grain, wine, and olive oil. Then they replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and, and made the nobles and officials formally vow to do what they promised. Prayer, authority, leadership, and resolving a huge, nasty mountain. I shook out the fold of my robe and said, I love that symbol. If you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you from your homes and from your property. And the whole assembly responded, Amen. And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Preaching. Not by itself by date. Not affected by modern technology. In certain ways it travels farther and firmer if used properly. I ask you to think about preaching Another P, as well as the prayer, the two go together. Preaching is God's powerhouse to get God's work done and past our priorities. Let's pray. Fathers, just stir us up, Lord. Grow our faith. Just give us the appointments and the people and the things that you want to have chipped away those mountains to be removed, those blocks to your kingdom coming. Lord, we pray your kingdom come, Lord, and we only see it partially. May your Shekinah glory of the Lord come here, Lord, into this chapel. May your Ruach wind of the Spirit blow through. May we know the oil of healing. May we know Jesus, the, gar the balm of Gilead in this place. May we witness everything he does, Lord, and may we praise you for all your good works. And may we put our good works, Lord, very much into third, fourth, or fifth place in this chapel. Amen.